0: This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio,
1: and you are listening to Men In Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable!
2: Live from a sold out Madrid theater. (laughs) Atletico Madrid, right? Madrid, you've got to soften the mouth. Madrid on picturesque Main Street in the non-crap part. Of Kansas City. (laughs) On the final day of the round of 16 stage of World Cup 2019, USA versus Europe Solheim Cup edition. (laughs) It's the Men in Blazers, Budweiser, Bredettes, football's coming home, USA against Spain show, Rog. (laughs) What the Benny File Harbors! Oh,
0: it is a total joy to be in the Paris of the Plains, the self proclaimed soccer capital of America. Yeah. We have both longed to be here together in this magical kingdom, <laughs> the one which gave the world a distinctive style of hard
2: swinging jazz. Let's hear it for jazz. I thought for a second that you just said, VAR swinging jazz. I which prefer... would be a special kind of jazz. Oh, mate, they should use
0: hard swinging jazz to make World Cup decisions. They'd be much more accurate. <laughs> it would
2: be faster.
0: Get on it, yeah. platter. Yeah.
2: Uh, <laughs> he's not around anymore.
0: He's still the puppet master. Let's talk <laughs> about nicer things. The Brett Hagen golden years. That's a man's moustache. And the sexy, sexy barbecue of Joe's. Which has never looked less sexy than when I'm standing in front of it. But best of all, this is a town in which Graham Zuzi's wafting dracon noir is faintly redolent across the entire city. I am moving here, (laughs) Davo.
2: I wouldn't put it past you, Rog, and your wife is in town looking at real estate as we speak. We're going to live next door to the file harbors. But we both (laughs) revere the football fandom that has sprung sprung up around the mighty Sporting Kansas City, a club that has risen from these plains, one that is so firmly grounded in the community with this incredible commitment to youth development that doesn't happen everywhere. Your training facility, the pinnacle, is unbelievable.
0: I was there today to see this $75 million world-class centre. I will see, to witness it rise up in the American heartland, is to feel optimistic about what's possible in this country. Look at that shot, David.
2: Hips don't lie. But,
0: by the way, your security's crap. I got to whiff Zuzi's undies for at least 20 minutes.
2: Looks like you're wearing 11 pairs of undies right there in that picture. Okay, Rog, the only way your setup could get any better. That's one more than it's normal. It's not the most one flattering. One more pair picture. than normal. Not the most flattering picture of your hips. What are you talking about? I, I was stimulated. <laughs> okay, the only way, Rog, that your setup could get any better is if you brought this jersey back. The Kansas City Wizards jersey, a timeless
0: style classic. For those of you listening at home, Alexi Lalas is wearing the jersey Devo is referring to in this photograph. And the best thing you can say about this kit, I adore it. It's my favourite America's ever produced for a club team. It's so loud and has so much going on, you don't even realise that Alexi Lalas is there. <laughs> it's... <laughs> it's <laughs> it's, it's like the football kit equivalent of the mute button.
2: It did. It actually managed to suppress Alexi Lalas, is what you're uh, saying.
0: Yeah, how would you describe this shirt, It shit, looks like David? a
2: rejected um, outfit from a Charles Schultz Peanuts comic strip. It looks oh, like thanks. something that Charles Schultz looked at and said, no, I was high. I can't, possibly, <laughs> I can't possibly make a kid wear that. I love it. By the way,
0: I love football jersey porn. And I'll just stay straight up, I would make sweet, sweet love to that jersey if you brought it back, Sporting
2: (laughs) Kansas City. What is Alexi Lalas actually saying or thinking in this picture? He's turning around to the fans being, what, you think I'm a footballer? (laughs) I'm I'm a member of
0: Hootie and the Blowfish.
2: (laughs) (laughs) He didn't have a hot take at that point. He was was. waiting for his hot take. He's saying, I'll tell you one thing, I will never
0: commentate on the Women's World Cup, never.
2: No, Roger, There (laughs) some would say he's not doing it now. I mean, some would say. Not us, not us, some would say. There have been a lot of books written on those halcyon days of Major League Soccer, Rog, no need to read any of them. This picture (laughs) sums up the league's history perfectly. It's simply... Ultra Music Festival, I was there this year, meets MLS Chic. Fire
0: Festival, if we're being honest.
2: By the way, that jersey... With better sandwiches, is, marginally. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that jersey is just one of many reasons why I long to return here with Men in Blazers for a live show. I first came to a game of what is now known as Children's Mercy Park, which is an astonishing name for a football stadium. <laughs> It is. It's like in Toronto, they call their kids' hospital "Sick Kids Hospital." It's like we're being very honest. If you're here, it's right on the tin. Yeah. Yeah. October sixteenth, two thousand twelve. So long ago, it was back when we all had hope still in our U.S. men's national team, and it was true. Young people here, we once believed. Um, that night, we were facing, it was the, the round before the hex, whatever shape you call that, polygon. Yeah. US were facing mighty Guatemala in a must-win World Cup qualifying game. We went 1-0 down, of course. Yeah. Why wouldn't I just wait? named
2: it, Roger. It's called the pre-hex of death, is it what is. we're calling
0: it. Yeah. It is. It's called the isosceles. <laughs> um, this was Pete-Jürgen Klinsmann era football. We went 1-0 down, but the Kansas City fans were just not having it, and the noise in the stadium went up to 11. You were essentially watching from the press box I wrote about the goal for ESPN.com, that the fans sucked the ball into their net with their hopes, their dreams, their voices. You did it three times. I wish you could play more often, to be candid. (laughs) The US won 3-1, and I wrote in my match report that night, and I don't like to quote myself, but we're here, so I'm gonna... I wrote, I can't believe that, the, I, I was gonna say that the editor allowed this, The ESPN don't have editors, they just put it right up. Yeah. I, I wrote, Kansas City Stadium is an American soccer marvel, a tiny cauldron rising up in the American heartland that even a fan with William Gibson's imagination could not have predicted being built 10 years ago. I draw strength from its existence more so when you project its dizzying growth into the future. And I still believe that more than ever today. Good Josie, good, good Josie, good. There's me and my
2: grandfather.
0: (laughs) Grandpapa,
2: your teeth are so sharp. That's Ian Dark, that's Ian Dark. Ian Dark, the legendary British commentator. Let's hear it for Ian Bloody Dark. Dog owner. Huh? Tess? Is this Labrador Retriever? I believe his Labrador Retriever is named Tess. Possibly Dog. still. Alive. Okay, you were such an optimist back then, Rog, is what my script said, but you weren't. <laughs> what happened to you? I know. Tonight, we are here to unpack this mighty Women's World Cup/Solheim Cup slash Solheim Cup. Round of 16 that saw the United States survive one hell of a shock Rog from tenacious tactically savvy Spain who came awfully close to securing the Iberian version of the miracle on Ith we're also (laughs) gonna catch up on the rest of the goings-on at the women's World Cup and touch upon our US men treating Trinidad and Tobago like any other team who begins with T and ends in (laughs) Highland. All that, and we're gonna dive into the question of how Kansas City became one of the most delirious hotbeds for the game of soccer in America, and what we can learn from that growth. If you are ready, Rog, please lead us with a toast. I thought you'd never ask. I wanna raise my
0: first fifth bud of the night with you. (laughs) To the American men. 6-0 against Trinidad and Tobago. Take that, Trinidad
2: and Tobago. That was the
0: biggest ever win in a Gold Cup match. And, like, we play teams like... And then we play teams like Steve's Pub (laughs) on the Virgin Islands. They get to be in this thing. I want to say, first half, bit of a struggle. Second half, a delirious blowout. Huge credit to Jordan Morris, who entered the game in the second half and changed it with his pace and passing. And I want to say, Jordan Morris, remarkable man, to grind your way back after all those injuries, pull on a US jersey again that you probably didn't know if you were going to pull on again and just create, must just allow him to feel an amazing mix of adrenaline, relief and joy. 6-0... Not revenge, I want to be clear, but progress. One step at a time, confidence building, building that brand back. And I want to raise this Bud fam, Blood fam to the US men, Jassi to Manchester United, Greg Berhalter to Chelsea, and to the United States for retroactively
2: qualifying for the 2018 World Cup! Yeah. Courage! We made it! We have finally made it, Rog, to the 2018 World Cup. So beautiful. We did so well. We did a- you can now fan fiction. You can now shit. I have. You can now ship Bruce Arena leading the United States to a noble, vainglorious Round of 16 exit in Moscow. He did amazing. Moscow. Great World Cup for America. Vainglory, Rog, being the only kind of glory Bruce Arena knows. <laughs> Good.
0: Cradle it. Cradle it, Tim. Cradle Kimmy, it. Kimmy, cradle it.
2: For more on that, listen to our other podcast, College Lacks Bro Heroes Today. <laughs> Clint, spin. Fire. Spin. Fire. <laughs> He's fishing also, as well as playing lacrosse. <laughs> I'd like the jerseys to be US, but warrior. <laughs> okay, uh, Rog, let's get into it. USA, we've gone to the women's game again. Rog. The, the real World Cup. The game. The real World Cup. The USA game. 2, Espana 1. Yeah. The US got off to another early lead when GFOP and Golden Blazer winner. We're not saying that's why she's so good at taking penalties, but it may be related. Megan Rapino. <laughs> Hit home from the spot after Tobin Heath was felled in the box in just the fifth minute. But not so fast, my friend. In the ninth minute, Spain equalized with an absolute stonker from Atletico Madrid's Jennifer Hermoso. The game settled into a back-and-forth affair in which Spain gave as good as they got and created several chances. But in the 76th minute, after Rose Lavelle... She was murdered. She was murdered. Love, she was murdered. Yeah. She was murdered by... 15 spanish players and then she was VAR. more they no it didn't need VAR. var but they went to var and var like it almost the computer almost blew up VAR judging that to have been a uh, vicious takedown in the box <sighs> rapino waved away at alex morgan Jill Ellis staying firm on the sideline. And Rapino again stepped up to the spot, converted to exactly the same place she put the first one. The US moves on to take on La France Friday in Paris. You may boo France and Paris as far as this Englishman is concerned. But not in the dominant fashion to which they've become accustomed. Rogelio, take it away. Oh,
0: let's just have a quick drink together, shall we?
2: Thank God. Because
0: crap is about to get serious. This is a bit dark. I won't be candid. Our US women survived a near-death scrape yesterday. This is not the story we like to talk about or to tell ourselves about our US women. Emotionally, it is incredibly hard for us to unpack it, but it was a stressful watch. I mean, for me, the final whistle went, and my dominant emotions were relief and astonishment. And I was trying to work out, when did it all start to go wrong, Davo? And to me, the answer was pre-game show. (laughs) (laughs) Which was Was, still Was Lalas involved?
3: Uh,
0: All of it. It was just an hour of how this is maybe not Spain's year, but they will be a team in the future. And possibly, you know, 2023, one, one American journalist wrote, They're going to be a great team in 2023. This is before kickoff they wrote this stuff. I mean, countless American journalists had just written off this Spanish threat. One writer thought it was a good idea to scribe the following as his pregame piece. He wrote, there are at most four games left in the US Women's National Team's 2019 World Cup, but we've seen enough to go ahead and call it this is the best U.S. women's national team ever. Wow. C- can we all just agree to only do this after games from now on? Can we agree with this?
2: Th- there's a- because... Because the unfortunate fact is Spain are pretty good at football now. They are. Now, inco- they're pretty good at football. Inconveniently
0: good now, Davo. And here's what-, here's what I don't understand. There's many things I do not understand about this game. You know, dropping Lindsay Horan because she's got a yellow card and we're gonna need her for the France game before we've qualified. That's, that's, to me, that's hubris, to be candid, because she's the brains of the team. Um, But who was shocked by Spain's terrific performance? I mean, they are a squad heavy on Barcelona's Champions League contending team. The US played them on January the 22nd, and they were so impressive in that game, so confident on the ball, so cohesive tactically, we, we won thanks to a, a goal from Christian, Christine Press. But I joked at the last live show about Bobby Robson, the England manager, once saying about Cameroon in 1990, we didn't underestimate Cameroon, we just didn't think they'd be that good. And that, that, to me, was the, 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 the American approach going to this Spain game, Davo. And unfortunately, it started too well because America scored too early. Fifth minute, Dal Camper drops a dime over the high Spanish back line. Heath charging, clipped down. Megan Rapinoe goes to the spot. It's business time. Boy, can she take a penalty kick. i just say, I was not worried because <laughs> 15-year-old Rog went pink, then purple, then bald. All good. Yeah. Seventh minute. Totally unrelated. Yeah, it's not about me. So <laughs> <No>, I <I'm> mean, <laughs> I don't. Whatever. Seventh minute, one nil. That early American goal that's been such a feature of this World Cup. And then, cover your children's ears, because JP De La Camera fucked it up for all of us.
2: Not, God bless not him. Not for the first time.
0: Got a bit of, in Star Wars. Like any Star Wars fans here. J.P. Camera in Star Wars Termology got a bit too cocky, kid. He screamed into his microphone, the US have not conceded a goal in 647 minutes. And within 10 seconds, <laughs> why would you do that? Why? Really? Even if it's a fact, why would you feel the urge to do that? J.P. did it, and Spain scored a worldie.
2: He was a little late in his script. He was meant to say that 20 seconds earlier. FIFA had given him the script that the goal was going to be scored in the 647th minute after conceding, and he just he left a little bit too late. By the way, he
0: didn't even get the statistic right when he spunked it into the microphone. He said 630. It was 647 minutes. It's genuinely amazing that he spat it into his microphone and then self-inflicted wound. Nayep. So much time on the ball. We argued about this. To me, this was Naya. She played it short to Becky Sauerbrun, who was in traffic, facing her own goal. And Becky Sauerbrun just johnstones
2: it. I mean look, not the best. <laughs> you, you Are there any Man City fans here? You would know. Is that Boo as in yes? You would know, Rod. He, he learned his trade at Everton. But he, <laughs> he, I mean, look, it was not the greatest pass. I do agree. Becky Sabrin, and we love Becky. First touch, probably she looks at it thinks, I wish my first touch had been a little bit different. Spain get in, actually very tasty finish. <laughs> um, very tasty finish from Jennifer Homoso. And yeah. uh, it's 1-1. I mean, she, suddenly, sh- she
0: struck the ball, by the way, like she was a DJ releasing a track. And she's like, is it a slapper? Or is it a banger? (laughs) It's a slapper and a banger. But I will say, that that pass from there, the thing that wounded me was it was a symbol of that short game that Jill Ellis has been trying to inculcate over the last four years, kind of pass that the US women are still not comfy with at all. And I looked at that and I thought, hello, darkness, my old friend. But what, were, what, was your, what was your reaction in that moment, David? When the US went 1-1 and then JP just fucked it up for
2: Can s- I tell you what my first thought was? Honestly, I haven't said this to you before. Is I thought that if Hope Solo had been the one that played the pass and Becky Sauerbrunn had controlled it like that, literally, Hope Solo would have knifed Becky Sauerbrunn
3: <laughs> right there. <laughs> she On the would film.
2: literally have knifed her, yep. is what would have happened. That was my first reaction. And then my second reaction was... Can I ask you a quick question? Yeah. Where does Hope Solo keep the knife? It, well...
0: <laughs> tell, me how, tell me after. I'll if tell you, you come after. to the drink post-game, yeah.
2: we'll tell you. I'll tell you. But right, that was my first thought, is that, oh my god, it's so thankful that I Hope Solo was not in goal, or <laughs> Becky Sabron would be knifed right now. And then my second I draw, cut you! Then my second thought was, uh, the World Cup has started. Yes! Yeah. World Cup
0: has started now for the US. We finally had to face adversity. You know, we had played group stage glories against Patsies. Thailand and Chile are essentially, this is not a disrespect to their teams, but they are pub teams in terms of their (laughs) international development. They really are. I mean, we
2: see them on these fields with the cameras and the glory. When Rod said no disrespect, that was no disrespect to pub teams.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, These, In terms of their international development, the games they play, the investment in them, the opportunity these women have to really develop their skills, it was low-level opposition. We didn't talk about it like that. We didn't emotionally process it like that but we have to know the U.S. women are not the 1992 dream team crushing everyone on the way to glory. They're a terrific team, but only Twitter warriors would like tweet back, being like, the U.S. are going to cruise through without conceding a goal. That does a disservice to the tactical development of the game in Europe, as we'll discuss. So when Spain scored, I was excited. I was like, how are the U.S. going to respond you know, Mike Tyson's classic sports truth everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. That is a truth, right, David?
2: Yeah, totally. Very true.
0: And how did we respond? We shat our pants.
2: <laughs> well, I don't know. I still think the US were the better team in the game, but Spain could play football, and the US, it felt, didn't really want Spain to be good at football. They liked the memory of when Spain weren't that good at football and would rather have been playing that Spain team. Yeah. And it was inconvenient that yeah. Spain it's are annoying. actually we're, quite good at football now. We've got
0: Instagram accounts, the grow, sister. What are you doing coming yeah. up against us like this? We've got commercial, we've we got a Hulu deal. I mean, what are you doing? Think about what you're doing to the handmaid's tale in the long term. I the US looks so rattled to me for long stretch of this game. For long stretches, it was like a battle between women's football 1.0 and women's football 2.0. It really was, and I love AOL chat rooms, but... <laughs> <laughs> I do. Listen to my other podcast. The AOL... No, the, the flanks were the battle zone. Megan Rapinoe fighting, Tobin Heath taking a lot of touches, let's be honest. (laughs) She's always trying to do techers. It's like, let's make an F2 vid. Let's never play the early ball. And Alex Morgan, it was like watching Shaquille O'Neal in the Hackershack days against the Chicago Bulls. Spanish defenders bodying her every opportunity. It was a shock to her. Spain's game plan, I want to say, was brilliant. It really was. They are a cross between Pep Guardiola possession and passing and movement and Sergio ramos Arts, both legitimate stars of play here at the Madrid Theatre.
2: <laughs> and what struck me was, our veterans... No you, one, you've not invoked the name of Diego Costa, which is something um, I've loved. That you've done that. He was there playing in a wig.
0: But no, what struck me was that, our veterans, no one stepped up to lead the team to safety. You didn't see anyone mentally. You know, the U.S. It almost looked like they came to be coronated. They were shocked to find like Joe Pesci walking in to be made. Whoa, it's a not going I've got that weird shirt on with the weird collars and a nice tie. Boom. It was a back alley knife fight. It was pool cues. It was nunchackers that were ninja bloody throwing stars. It was all going down David.
2: Yeah and also the US's best player in my humble opinion I think your opinion as well, is Lindsay Horan. And Lindsay Horan is not on the pitch because I don't think Jill Ellis realises that Lindsay Horan is the best US player in midfield. This was a midfield battle for the ages. It needed our midfield general, and she wasn't there. She's the brain of the team. She, she, is, she is tactically, technically
0: astute. And the European game, this is the story of the World Cup. They'll fix VAR as the story of the World Cup, but they will fix VAR. The story long term, and this is a brutal reality for us because America number one, but the European game has made massive advances technically, tactically over the last four years. Barcelona, Bayern, Lyon, Manchester City, all these clubs, they've invested in their women's teams, they've given them real coaches. They are better than our coaches. When you speak to the US women, they'll say the coaching is better which means the US can't win games that like we did in 1999 and 2015, where we just flattened opponents of our athleticism. We need footballing brains. But in this game, we panic. Fight or flight kicked in. You know, I'd say the goal celebrations against Thailand did not seem quite as funny as they once had. What do you imagine went on in that locker room at halftime, David? Because to me, when the US slunk off, it was like watching Anthony Joshua in his corner when he'd been punched hard for the first time, and he wasn't quite sure what the hell had just happened.
2: Yeah, I don't imagine that those US senior women are listening very hard to Jill Ellis. It's hard for me to conceive of that. I'm not even sure what Jill Ellis would have said to them. Um, But I think the US were the better team, and I think they were confident that they could come out and go and be the better team. And it was for me one of their outstanding young players in this tournament, Rose Lavelle, who made the difference.
0: Well we'll we'll chat about Lavelle in a minute. I think what Jill Ellis probably said to them at halftime is simple. She said hope solo is laughing
2: at you. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> and Becky, you know you'd be dead right now. <laughs> if she were here.
0: But to me this I, I watch it, it was a real test of Jill Ellis at halftime. She clearly made mistakes in how this team was set out. You watch in the Premier League, managers make mistakes, they correct them. They try and fix them, but with no substitutions until the 85th minute. And this was after three days rest. It was honestly bewildering. And I was trying to work out why. And in those situations, the coach is either kind of bending will to the dominant players on the team. They feel untouchable or they just don't have the tactical savvy to adjust. And we know that Jill, last World Cup, showed she does have the tactical savvy. So it's a storyline we've got to be aware of. Second half for me was a match-up between the US, superior athletes as individuals, versus Spain. To me, superior uh, footballers as a collective, playing with no fear. There was a a moment when Kelly O'Hara, who I adore, had our pipes cleaned out by a studs-up tackle by Parades, And I was like, holy shit, this is all Hulu's has live sports fault. <laughs> and there were moments when you looked at the players and that you were aware they felt mortal, they felt like niche, that they were gazing long enough into an abyss and the abyss was gazing back into you. They were fighting for their lives. They were fighting for their futures. They were fighting for the equality debate. And then out of the blue, God love you, Rose Lavelle.
2: Can we just say you, you said something about VAR earlier, that VAR will get better, and VAR will get better. VAR is actually, considering that the game has been around for more than 100 years and VAR has been around for two, VAR is actually doing a pretty good job early on. And I say this in full disclosure, that the guys from Hawkeye who designed VAR and implement it share my office at Embassy Row in New York, so... <laughs> I'm not exactly, it's a Sony-owned company. I'm a Sony-owned company. I'm not entirely objective about it. But I think VAR has been amazing. Yeah, it's, I think
0: it's, t- it's turning the football that we love into long bouts of refereeing decisions with brief moments of football in between yeah. them. I know, it's but like, we want like, the it's decisions... It's like a really athletic episode of Judge Judy.
2: But it's different. It's a it's a Sophie's choice. Is do you want the decisions to be right, or do you want them to be... We need to change the name. ridiculous.
0: We should call it Paul Varr.
2: Paul Varr blows your mind. said Paul blows your mind. That's a good idea. Oh. Good idea. And he's here, tonight. he's here tonight.
0: Paul Varr blows
2: your mind. Yeah. Sorry, look, Kansas is second. Paul Varr. Yeah, no, Paul Varr isn't here. Paul Carr is here. But well, anyway, whatever. Um, late, but I bro. think that name change. I think the VAR is going to get better. But I think one thing that VAR, look, I'm delighted that us got the penalty that ended up winning the game. VAR, you great. should get
0: a Nobel Prize.
2: <laughs> but I think had they been watching that VAR decision in real live time rather than in slow motion. It was a little soft. It might not have been completely good. I t- I tell
0: you how soft it was. Just between us, li- no one's listening. In Spain, at the Madrid Theatre. <laughs> but when the Fox commentator looked at it and admitted, that was a, let's say that was a really soft penalty, that means, yeah. holy crap, how the F was that a penalty? Yeah.
2: Can we say, once again, the two significant uh, words in that sentence? Fox. Commentator.
0: <laughs> Rose Lavelle, though, she's just not that kind of player, is she, David?
2: Yeah, she just feels gravity harder than most humans. But she's been a. And I, I will she say, is, she did. She does. She felt gravity she professionally, and, which was very important at Spanish that point. And the Spanish
0: player destroyed molecules with that graze.
2: Yeah, molecules. She must Whole have been molecules. In agony. Whole GFOP
0: Whole. at Josh Jenkins tweeted us, if that was Mo Salah, Neymar, Suarez, or really any men's player doing that, Dave what would you say? You'd say it was a disgrace to the game.
2: Well, I would have said that it was soft.
0: I would say, to answer your question at Josh Jenkins, I would just say, American dives are the best dives. <laughs> right, Greg Gruganis?
2: Yeah.
0: And and, yeah, look at it, look at it. And by the way, American dives are the best dives, and airmail speedos are the best speedos.
2: That is a set of thighs on that man. I mean, those are burnt ends, technically. (laughs) I believe you call them in
0: Kansas, right?
2: I mean... Um, By the way... I am am a leg man, Rog, I like that. Every Um, day's
0: leg day. But I will say... (laughs) When the, the VAR referee went over to the VAR, everyone's like, why does a referee have to go over to the camera? Why can't they just hit... The well, referee... I love it the
2: fact that you said the referee went over to the VAR.
0: Yeah, Paul the VAR. VAR. She went over to Paul VAR. Yeah, And I can't be 100% sure, but I believe when she put in her earpiece at the VAR machine, she was immediately patched through to an incandescent Rob Stone who <laughs> he told her in no uncertain words did it... If the US don't effing get through to play France on Friday, it's a ratings meltdown disaster for Fox. So penalty it was! And by the way, I instantly revised my opinion of VAR, which I've kind of detested. I think it should be given the Presidential Medal of Freedom.
2: But then Alex wanted to take the penalty. Then Jill Ellis said, no, Megan takes the penalty Social again. media numbers don't grow on their own. But then Megan Rapinoe was suddenly
0: sent in. She lined up the kick like Redding California's Adam Vinatieri, the Spanish iced her, the ref iced her. Megan Rapinoe would not effing be iced. You cannot ice ice. She's American, Jimmy Milner. And that was that. Just to summate, any Liverpool fans here? <laughs> Holy crap. Any Chelsea fans? If you're Everton fans, just be silent right now. I <laughs> God, Kansas City is an Everton town. The US needed, Devo, two penalties to get through this. Second peno quite dodgy. And those penalties were two of the three shots that we made on goal. How'd you handicap this one? Devo.
2: What, this game or going forward? The game, like... Mm. I think the US were the better team. I think the US were the better team... I think had they not got the penalties, they would have found a way to win. But I think Spain, pff, this team can play football. Now. And Spain are not as good as France. And so I worry a little bit about France. But for me, it's like the US, I've got this thing about the US team and it's difficult because we know these women, we love these women, we spent time with these women. But there's a little part of me that just doesn't think that these US women think that the rest of the world are deserving of being on this stage with them. They think they're so much better, and when they are, it just annoys them. And that worries me a little, Rog. I mean, there's lots to be worried
0: about, and worry is not a bad thing. Worry is life. Fear is, (laughs) it's good. That's all I want to say. (laughs) I want to say, Spain, Huge respect, huge respect. They played a brilliant tactical game. They understood their own strengths. They let the U.S. onto them. They picked their moments to counter, and then they went toe-to-toe with the U.S. And I will say, the U.S. did not seem ready for that at all. And a testament to that is, I was watching this game at LaGuardia on the way to be with you all, and when Megan scored that second penalty, I'll be candid, It was just us here, so I'll tell you, a tear rolled down my eye when she scored. A tear of relief that the US would survive this game.
2: There were many people crying at LaGuardia Airport that night, Rog. (laughs) Not many for that reason. Mainly the the construction delays, I think, is the main reason.
0: That's on our other podcast, Spirit Airlines Today. (laughs) But I grew up in England with you at the tail end of England being good.
2: Very different England.
0: But we still believed that we were the best team in the world, even when we weren't. And there was a period of arrogance in which the great English journalist Brian Glanville, and I think about this a lot, he wrote of its demise, and this is very poignant. He said, the English who invented the game regard victory as their right and destiny, but the island plays as if it's isolated from the evolution of the sport. There's still plenty of passion, physicality, but it's at the expense of modern technique and organization. And then this is the part that really eats me up at night. He said, English football has become the story of vast superiority, sacrifice through short-sightedness and insularity. It's the story of shamefully wasted talent, extraordinary complacency, and infinite self-deception. And I would say, look at us, America, and learn. Don't follow the English route, No. just know there are going to be no more gimmies for the U.S. Women's National Team. Our athletes, they are the best footballers in the world, we can do this, we can, we can win this. <laughs> but the ease of the group stage masks the truth and we live to fight another day, that other day is Friday. We need to learn our lessons from what happened against Spain, against France, and then if we do, bring it on, David.
2: You know, Rog, I tweeted today that the World Cup now, the quarterfinals, you've got the US and you've got seven Western European nations, that the World Cup has essentially become the Solheim Cup. It's essentially a golf tournament at this point, played between the US and Europe. The U.S. women are the best golfers in the world. The U.S. men are the best golfers in the world. But suddenly, in the 90s and the 1000s, the European golfers came together as a team and they managed to figure out a way how to beat the U.S., mainly in the Ryder Cup, not so much in the Solheim Cup, but occasionally in the Solheim Cup.
0: No one knows uh, what the Solheim Cup is.
2: Yeah, no, but it's like... Three people here do. And I'm speaking to you three. That it's a... It is, this is what's going on. You now have the whole of Europe aligned against the U.S. True. The U.S. team, the U.S. women are in France around European media, around a European-dominated World Cup. They're in foreign territory. And it is, the U.S. are still the best team in this World Cup, I believe, by three-quarters of a mile. But it's going to be very, very hard mentally for them to beat Seven teams who are lined up just wanting more than anything else in the world to build beat the team who are the Pinnacle of the women's game the team that almost Invented the women's game and taught the rest of the world how to play it. I don't quite know what you're saying
0: I'm just thinking of two words Angela Merkel <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Angela
0: yeah, I uh, two. three words And France, though, David, what did Megan Rapinoe say about France?
2: Yeah, Megan Rapinoe, in an interesting uh, press conference, said, this is what everybody wanted, we want it, it seems like they're up for it, I hope it's just a total shit show, a circus, it's going to be totally awesome. These are the biggest games that you kind of dreamed about as a kid.
0: Shitshow dreams are the best dreams. <laughs> Look, I'll say this, hometown France are not invincible. They seem shattered for much of their round of 16 game, Devoid of imagination, nice jerseys, football not so nice. Summoned enough in extra time to outlast a physically robust Brazil, who played a team of 10 Fernandinos <laughs> and Marta, who we'll get back to. But here's what I marvel about this French team the multiculturalism of that squad. The next phase, I believe, of American evolution of the game on the women's side, it has to involve reshaping youth development, coaching, scouting systems, so our team can look like France's, look like our nation, to be honest. I tweeted out that on Sunday. I tweeted out on Sunday, before the Spain game, and I got, I'll be candid, I got a lot of jingoistic, lot, for mostly males to be candid, a lot of 30 nil sounds good to me, bro. Here's what I'll say, we saw yesterday, Europe has closed the gap with the US women, and for America to retain our dominance, we've got to evolve, we have to innovate, and tapping into African American and Latino talent, and developing it, please God, will be the next phase for US soccer, David. Yeah. Yeah, the
2: women and the men. Okay, Rog, I can't stand the anticipation for Friday any longer. Let's take a shot of Jägermeister, use its prophetic powers to predict the quarterfinal, France versus the USA right here, right now. Kansas City.
0: Spoiler alert, it's going down. Jägermeister speaking, not Rog. This is
2: objective. <laughs> way, way more objective. What?
0: What's my name? Uh, uh, <laughs> um, if we... Uh, what's her name? Hings. Suddenly, Rog speaks fluent German. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it, it means
2: that I'm so, I'm so sad. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, a love Live, life sausage. A living, loving sausage. Okay. Yeah, sorry.
0: I went to Oklahoma Jews. It was amazing.
2: Yeah. Look,
0: if we learn from our mistakes against Spain, we'll win the World Cup but it's not gonna be handed to us. Wake up, I think we will. We will win 2-1, Lindsay Horan, propelled by the memory of, let's just say, some pretty challenging life experiences as a young pro in France, is gonna have the game of a life. Devo.
2: Whoa! <laughs> oh! Whoa. Come at me, bro. The voices! My Jägermeister tastes of one of my favourite made-up words, Rog. Strafender. The US attack has been the focal point for the start of this World Cup, but I see one of the back four, Rog, getting the winner in this one. Perhaps even they he's still alive because Hope Solo is not in goal, Becky Sauberon. I think she's gonna get her first U.S. goal ever against France. Back post, glancing header, probably not the corner she intended it to go in. 1-0, U.S. versus France. And cue, pretty much my favourite thing as a Briton, French heartbreak and recrimination. My favourite, my favourite. Oh, oh, French sorrow, my favourite. By the way, we love that even more than English losing, which we really love. I love French sorrow.
0: We love English defeat, but we love French sorrow just that much more, which is a nice segue, because let's talk about your England, Dave.
2: Still, England.
0: Your Lionesses still doing it, just in a var fill game against a let's say a heightened Cameroon. How are you feeling about your Lionesses?
2: I mean the hair dye is on point. There is like they're blonder than Norwegians, which is a slightly odd thing. Um I mean the Lionesses they're physically strong. I think they're one of the physically strongest teams in the tournament. I thought the Cameroon game was just a giant mess. It made me sad. It didn't make me feel good about football. Didn't make me feel good about VAR. Didn't make me feel good about anything. You've just described how I feel after an Everton game. But I, yeah. (laughs) Except England won. Um, And (laughs) it was easy. Just like tossed it up, bam. Um, So, uh, look, England are in the quarter finals of a World Cup, I think England. Thank you. I think England have were, were you, a... Can
0: I just say, were you cheering for quarterfinals? Or were yeah, you cheering for England?
2: It's a big fan of quarterfinals over yeah, there. I love the quarterfinals. Look, I think England have a chance to make it <laughs> to the semifinals where we will lose and probably then lose the third place game and do just as well as our men and finish fourth in a World Cup. Like, yay. <laughs> I mean, pretty much. I mean, I think, I think America...
0: No, America, that was Freudian. I was going to say England, but I'm American now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You still... Can I just... You still have the passport until you burn it on a Men in Blazers podcast. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to you burning it. That would be a good podcast. Burn it it right now.
0: Bro, guys, you never know when you're going to be... That awful moment when you've run out of toilet paper and you'll use anything. <laughs> We've all been there, friends.
2: I'll tell you, a British, a British passport would not be a very satisfying solution to that problem.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> you could use the Men in Blazers' encyclopedia Blazer Tannica would be a better, <laughs> way better solution.
0: By the way, can I just tell you, this is a weird segue to nowhere, but in England... <laughs> No-one has yet invented lactose intolerance. No English person has heard of that disease. It just, it just, it's just out there.
2: <laughs> I, drink, <laughs> I drink 15 pints of milk a day, but my stomach doesn't feel right somehow. What could possibly be going on? Shut up and get on the field, Lucy
0: Bronze. Stop mooning. Listen. England lack confidence in the final third. By the way, no one has heard of lactose intolerance. It just They think it doesn't exist. They think it's like only in America do you have it. It's only in America you've actually diagnosed it and yeah.
2: solved it. We actually haven't heard of the words lactose or intolerance. <laughs> as far as it's gone.
0: I'm wor- here's what I'm worried about, other than Gas. <laughs> I'm worried about the Norwegian counter feasting on the back line that was so often exposed by bloody Cameroon. It was a brutal stop-start game, and the Cameroonians felt hard done to. We disagree on what we saw. I want to say candidly, I felt for the Cameroonians, and I know this is not a popular opinion. The majority, including Phil Neville, thought that they were a disgrace to the women's game for the way that they protested the decisions felt hard done to by VAR. I want to say this, (laughs) for me, the African players have got such an uphill struggle, not just battling their opponents, they're also battling their federations. They get woeful support. Everyone was like, oh, but they're so unprofessional. Most of them are not professional. They barely train before these tournaments. They have so few games. They have no medical insurance. But what I saw was people whose dreams burn as strongly as the American players' dreams, as much as the English Lionesses' dreams. They've just had such little investment to make these dreams come true. And I watched that game, and I just thought, FIFA, step up and change that now, and then we can judge it.
2: I love that. The majority, including Phil Neville. But oh, look, li- I felt for the Cameronians, too, but there's no place. I mean, you know how I feel about biting in sport, that biting is not allowed. Spitting in sport, it's just not allowed. You can't spit in sport. It's just: ugh.
0: Lactose intolerance is not <laughs> a crime. Let's, let's leave the last word upbeat from the round of 60 to Marta, who this was simply astonishing to me, humanly. After what is likely her last world cup game she looked down the camera lens and addressed the next generation of brazilian girls and passionately offered lessons for life
4: é querer mais é treinar mais é se cuidar mais é estar pronta para jogar 90 e mais 30 minutos quantos minutos sou é isso que eu peço para as meninas Não vai ter uma formiga para sempre, não vai ter uma Marta para sempre, não vai ter uma Cristiane. E o futebol feminino depende de vocês para sobreviver. Então pense nisso, valorize mais. Chore no começo para sorrir no fim.
2: I loved it, right? That was beautiful. Women's football depends on you to survive. Think about it, value it more. It's about wanting more mice. It's about training more. It's about looking after yourself more. It's about being ready to play 90 minutes and then 30 minutes more. We're asking for support. You have to cry at the beginning and smile at the end. In every World Cup, Roger, we see the tectonic plates of soccer moving around the world. And what Marta is seeing here is the tectonic plates moving from the Americas towards Europe, and she's encouraging the Brazilian girls, the South American girls coming through to stand up to it. She's seeing a change in the game. But
0: how she's seeing it, that line, cry in the beginning, so you smile in the end. Life advice, not just football advice, might just be the most poetic life truth a footballer's ever spoken. And I say, my son's in the audience tonight, and what she said is a beautiful, beautiful world human truth. And I want to thank GFOP, that perfect speller, who tweeted, Marta's words, slightly better than Phil Jagielka's last message to Everton supporters (laughs) of cry in the beginning so you can cry at (laughs) half-time and cry at the end.
2: Fair enough. Oh, Samson, what your father has done to you. Okay, Rog, enough of the Copa das Copas going on in France. Let's take the conversation back home to this magnificent city. To do so, let's bring to the stage a son of Glasgow, who has become a cult hero in these parts. A bloke whose left foot is forged out of valerian steel and whose brain is a spigot from which pours forth viral Russell mania welcome to the stage Kansas City the pride of Scotland Johnny Russell <laughs>
0: This is the first time Johnny Russell's been on stage with the fucking proclaimers.
2: You know, when I was a student at the University of Edinburgh, if I told you this, that I, was, I lived right next door to one of the proclaimers, and often when I was like, <laughs> leaving to go to my lectures, he was coming home from the pub, and he would walk past me, and every single time i tried to pluck up the courage to say, how far have you walked home tonight? And I, I never did it. <laughs> I never did it once. It's one of the greatest regrets of my life, Rog. Oh, God. One of the greatest regrets. That poor motherfucker just walked walk around
0: Scotland with people going up to him and being like...
2: Na na (laughs) na na!
0: Johnny. Johnny Russell! That's the same person who loves
2: quarterfinals. (laughs) Yeah. Johnny, it is is great to be with you. It's the only Scottish person who's ever loved quarterfinals. (laughs)
0: Talk about you, Johnny. <laughs> you great son of Coatbridge. Oh. Eight miles east of Glasgow. That's Scotland, America. <laughs> You're like, what part of London is Glasgow in? <laughs> Here's what I love about you There's so many things. You've dreamt of being a Premier League player since you were a kid, right?
4: You know what? Not so much Premier League. I always had the, the ambition to play abroad. Um, like, where are you going with this? No, I, d- I was, you know, a lot of Scottish players done well and went to England. That was sort of the mould for a Scottish player, so I wanted to try something different. Um, had the opportunity when I played in Scotland to, there was a few bids from an, uh, an Italian team. Mm-hmm. Um, I could have went there, but the, the clubs never came to an agreement, which is probably a good thing about a month later, the manager got sacked That it was trying to sign me, so...
0: Was it Sarry? <laughs> <laughs> you don't know, yeah, have to tell me. Don't, you don't have to tell me. Did he smoke a lot? No. But you came close to the Premier League with Derby, but they lost in 2016 in the playoffs, the English Football League Championship player. We got this thing in England that's called Pro-Rel. You've not heard of it, but you said after that defeat, the changes that occurred after the failure, the change in culture, made you quote completely fall out of love with the game. You said I didn't enjoy training, I was coming to the games, I didn't enjoy the games, I was thinking, thank God that's over. It was a relief. I mean, when I read these quotes, it seemed like a darkness descended upon you that the. Creative spark had disappeared. Did it feel like you had
4: lost the joy that you once felt on the football pitch? <laughs> Pretty depressing healing that back as well. So, <laughs> uh,
0: how do you know, think the audience feels <laughs> watching our shit? <laughs> so, it's when they leave this theatre. Oh. No, but um, it, it was it was, a, it was a dark reality for you. <laughs> um, it was,
4: you know, first first year at Derby. Um, we had the chance to go up, got to the playoff final, um, and probably one of the played in one of the most one-sided games I've ever played in my life. Just couldn't score, um, and they scored in the last minute. Ruined the dream for everyone. Who was that against? Uh, It was Queen's Park Rangers. Oh.
2: (laughs) Wow.
0: Guys, he said Queen's Park Rangers, not Swope Rangers.
4: (laughs) Um, Yeah, I was there for four and a half years, so... You know, plenty of opportunities to, to try and get there and it just never quite worked out. One year we were, the season finished in May, we were f- five points clear at the top at the end of February and didn't even make the playoffs, so finished eighth. <laughs> that was that was a pretty good year. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, it's just, you know, there was, was a few changes. Uh,
0: and it just felt dark. It felt like Whitney Houston, never going to dance again, <laughs> never going to fall in love again. You you were in a low point in terms of your relationship with football.
4: I was. uh, There was uh, just a few incidents, you know, sort of that year. um, The the summer before that sort of, I don't know, just soured my my stay there a little bit. And, you know, towards the end of my time there, you know, I started to get the the feeling back. But I spent a lot of time outside the team, uh, like training ground, incidents, so I left out the squads, training with the kids for a couple of months, so...
0: Wondering if you were going to keep playing the game that you'd once loved. That's essentially where it got.
4: I can't do anything else.
0: So. <laughs> Nor <But>, can I, <laughs> Johnny Russell. And he can't no even can do
2: I? that. But, but until By that way, point... I can only hear my <laughs> wife's laughter when I just said that. But until that point in your life, you'd won <laughs> and won and won. And this is a, a real challenge that you are now facing, but... Let me now take you back to January 2018. Kansas City. Heard of it? They came in for you, and you came and you made an instant impact. You've become a fan cult hero with your creative play, your bravado, your finishing and your fight, and you've scored goals like this.
1: into the penalty area, still Johnny Russell!
2: is born in Kansas City Johnny
1: Russell just can't oh. get enough. scoring against the Galaxy
0: Johnny just riffing it seems like Kansas City has revived you what is it about this place that's restored your your
4: joy de vivre, your love of the game? Um, I think it, it's just given me back something like we'd said that I'd lost. Uh, I'd sort of lost a, a spark in my game. That not that I didn't want to create stuff, um, but I just it, I just didn't feel it was in me anymore. Coming here's gave me that release, that freedom. Um, and I feel that it's, it's the best, probably on par with the best I've played in my career since I've came here. So uh-huh. it's it's something that I'm I'm truly grateful for getting the opportunity to come here. You know, it's a great club, and it's you know it's been built on success, um, and it's it's just great to be a part of that, and hopefully be you know the next you know the next step in this club's greatness.
2: Yeah. So last August. Johnny, there was a moment between you and the fans, one particular fan, after a 3 0 thumping of Portland, in which you had scored in the 89th minute. Very good minute to score, not too early. <laughs> a genuinely lovely moment, full time, a young fan wanted your shirt. You steam into the crowd. Let's take a look at the impact you have on people in this clip, which went viral. <laughs>
0: Johnny, we need to know, you were there, we weren't. (laughs) Was she crying out of joy? Or seeing a tattooed man in a bra? (laughs) Out of fear.
2: Which one was it? Uh, Probably the second one. Uh... And and what did that shirt smell like at that stage? (laughs) After 94 minutes, probably not good. So. <laughs> I am brute. It does. <laughs> but there's something
0: special. When I watch that clip, I watch it and I see immediately the connection between you and the people of Kansas City who love their team and have embraced you as an outsider who's revived his career here. These are leading questions, perhaps. <laughs>
2: Roger's favourite kind of but, questions. How would you,
0: Johnny Russell, describe the relationship between the fan base and the team? Because there is something
4: special inside that stadium. Um, there is. I think so many things. We try and get involved with the community as much as we can. Um, but even, you know, to I think it was maybe around a month back. And, you know, we've not been on a great run of form at all, um, well below the standards that we set for ourselves, And, you know, anywhere else, you know, people are going to turn on you. Um, but we're walking into the, the training facility and we've got fans waiting for us, cheering on us, you know, going into training on like a, it was like a Monday morning. So, I mean, stuff like that is, you know, you do feel it as, as a player when things aren't going well. Um, you know, it does start to get to you at times. Uh, but. You know, when you've got you've got people like that, um, you know, it gives you gives you that boost and gives you you know something else to fight for as well. Can we, can we hear that for Johnny?
0: Because <laughs> to be, Davo and I are complete interlopers in your city. We've been here for twenty four hours. We've had your burnt ends. <laughs> we visited your First World War memorial, which is <laughs> magnificent. We've been to your Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, which is, I'd encourage everyone listening to go. But walking around here, talking to Kansas City citizens about the football team, the role it plays, their love for this team. And I thought, Johnny, you've been up, you've been down. You've taken a path that not many have walked. You've left a second place in the, in the league English team in the championship. You've left for American soccer, and you've used that move to rekindle your love of the game. You've used it to rekindle your international career. You're now a fixture in the Scottish team. A... So what I want to know is, how did you feel last October when these Kansas City fans celebrated you, your style of play, your love of their city, by raising this WrestleMania Tifo before the game. What, what, what I'm asking is, Johnny, I, I have no idea the answer to this question, Johnny, so tell me, what does it feel like to love and be loved?
4: You <laughs> know, no, that was. Even looking at that now, that was such a surreal experience. You know, we knew something was was going to be. Obviously, we could see there was a tifo going up before the game, and you know, when it, it comes up, you were up just like, "Oh, another zuzzy fucking tifo." <laughs> Not even gonna look at this one. <laughs> no, you're just thinking. You know, back in the UK, we, you know, we, did, we never had anything like that, so you know, it's, it's pretty new for me. And then when it when it's going to come up, you're you're not thinking it's going to be yeah, a, a half naked you. <laughs> no, it's, uh, that's uh, it was an amazing
2: um, experience for me to see that before the game and. Yeah, what you know, would happen at Celtic if somebody bought out a Tifo? It would be burned so quickly. It would be without a doubt. You know, as all British people, uh, I said to you backstage, like, do you ever think of going back? Like, do you ever want to go back? Your answer was, no, you don't see anything else for you back home. You want to stay here. Your family, your wife, your daughter. You love it here. His, his muscle car. <laughs> because. Uh, To love and be loved, Johnny, here in Kansas City, please be upstanding, sporting fans, for your man, the best Russell since Kerry. (laughs) (laughs) Raise your beers for Johnny Russell! bloody Russell! I tell you, he smells good too, Rog. (laughs) It's that Graham Zuzzi Draco Noir. (laughs) That was not Draco Noir. It's more sort of an aqua de palma or something. Some kind of local knockoff that he's wearing. We'll see. Uh, Okay, Rog. Boulevard beer. Yeah, let's follow that up. We've got another guest, Roger. We've got another guest. Let's uh, follow Johnny up by bringing a national legend onto the stage. The Indigo man... Girls. <laughs> <laughs> a man who was an American pioneer as a player, mostly as a striker, in a 14 year career, Roger, that took him to communist era Hungary, Holland, Spain. Those were not communist era, they never got into Holland. Holland. <laughs> They sort of got into Spain, but that's a history lesson. And, uh, and right back to the States, where he's become the only guy to have won the MLS Cup as a player and coach of the same team. But, uh, I, I'm going to stop you there. Can any
0: of you guess who it is? I'll give you a clue. It's not
2: Bruce Arena. We welcome to the stage, from your sporting Kansas City, one of the most direct, forceful, competitive, and unapologetic characters in the American game, not to mention the longest-tenured coach in MLS, Mr. Peter Vermees! Yes! Kansas City. 1966, what a year, Peter. Both of us born in 1966. Oh, I revere you. This is a little different for me, so we know. Really? This
1: is definitely a little different for me. This is
2: just more of the same for me.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I love you. It is.
1: But we do this a lot. Hey, just one thing before we get started, and I really mean this. You guys got an incredible show. And you guys, are de- you know, it's, it's interesting sometimes when you... Uh, People have an idea, right? And, and, and somehow you cultivate that, and next thing you know you have a following, and all of a sudden you're an incredible success story, and, I, and it doesn't come easy, right? It takes a lot of hard work. And so you guys, um, you, congratulations on that aspect, but also for what you do for the game, because this kind of environment is what's necessary to continue to grow the game, so oh, appreciate what you thank do. Thank you, that means the world,
2: honestly, honestly. Just think of it as sitting
0: down at a table with Matt Bezler and <laughs> Graham Zuzi, and just the only difference is they have more alcohol on their table than yeah. we
2: do. <laughs> Which is hard to do.
0: I want to tell you straight up, Peter Vermes, I have long revered you. To me, you are the epitome of dedication, passion, Tenacity. To me, you are all that's good about America's footballing culture. And it's fitting that we sit here with you because we're living out the the magic or maybe the quasi-magic of a gold cup as we sit here. And it's very fitting because the first time I ever heard the two words Peter and Vermees together was 26 years ago, almost to the day. 5th of July, 1991. I had hair. <laughs> I had my own teeth. It was the first ever Gold Cup. Devo was at the game. I was at the game, covering it for the Telegraph. Which was still a newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, a, a newspaper, young people, is a thing that... Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, you get they, it. it
2: comes through your mailbox they, they, no, and you you open it up. They cut you down to read it.
0: So trees. Yeah. Uh, I had it. Trees. Trees. A semi-final <laughs> against arch rival Big Brother back then in footballing terms Mexico. A young American team of which you were the captain, right? I was. They were 1-0 up in the 64th minute when the ball came out to you on the flank. And you did this. Para su despeje, después Lavíco mete
3: pelotazo largo a la intentona que estaba manejando el equipo estadounidense. Viene Superman, Peter Vermeiro.
2: Golazo, Rog. That was at the Coliseum. And that was so long ago, that was the English language commentary. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was a 2 0 win. Yeah. The first ever Dos Acero. Yeah. For those listening on the podcast, Peter Vermes held off a defender on the wing cut inside another one, lashed the ball home from the edge of the box into the Mexican net like a true wolf blitzer. Yeah, from the situation room. (laughs) From the situation room. It, it, it It was a significant moment for American soccer, it really was. It felt like it at the time, it was. And you said this moment was one that changed the US from a team that had good performances to a team that was now expected to win.
1: Yeah, I mean, prior, prior to that, any time we played, um, it was always about how do we survive the game. And uh, when Borla, Borla Militinovic, who was our coach at that time, had just come in and taken over the team, um, uh, he did a fantastic job. Not, there were some things on the field for sure, but it was wor- more than mentality. And uh, that was where we decided that we could do a lot more than just survive. And uh, it was about winning, and obviously we went on to win the Gold Cup, um, which was tremendous. It's, it's, the, the cup was uh, about as big as this. It's a lot different today, but it still meant the same thing. Uh, it, was, it was a tremendous victory for us, and I think it also gave us the idea that we could actually win and not just participate anymore. Totally. And
2: that team, that U.S. men's national team that I fell in love with, in the early 90s in Los Angeles, where I went to see all of your games at the Coliseum, at the Rose Bowl, was so crucial leading up to the 94 World Cup. And so talk to us about how important that team was in, in, in founding everything that we experienced with the U.S. men's national team today and the growth of the game.
1: Well. Y- Got to remember, we really didn't have any pros on our team. We were all coming out of college, and we were just now trying to make our way. Um, And they were putting this team together that was a national team, but it was really first to try to get us into the Olympics and then try to qualify for the World Cup. And now, all of a sudden, we do all that. We go to the World Cup. And now, if we didn't qualify for the World Cup in 1990, I don't know if the '94 World Cup would ever made it here. Um, So the next step was now to actually start winning, and the big idea was in 94, we had to have uh, a good run. And the team actually did a good job in getting to the next round. And, you know, again, that was the advent of starting uh, Major League Soccer. And that, you know, and that, I think the rest is history. And that group of guys, they, they had, you know, I can say it here because we're not on TV, but that, that group of guys had a lot of balls um, to be able to do the things that they did.
2: We were talking earlier, actually, sorry, Roger. We were talking earlier about what it was like playing at home as a U.S. men's national team in CONCACAF at those points. Now we talk about going away in CONCACAF and how challenging it was, but playing at (laughs) home in CONCACAF was just abysmal.
1: We never had a home crowd unless we, honestly, we played it in St. Louis at St. Louis Soccer Park. That was the only time we had a home game where we had home fans. Everywhere else, we were away from home. And then the other thing I'll tell you is when we went away from home, we played in, say, Guatemala, Costa Rica, Honduras, El Salvador, you name it, Mexico. When you would be on a corner kick, you would hear ding, and, and it was a, a size D battery hitting across. Not ball. a double A, no, not a triple A, no, a size D. And That's the cylinder.
2: It's like right there.
1: The only set pieces that you wanted to be the player that took the set pieces are the ones that were in the middle of the field, because if you went anywhere to the sides of the corner kick... You were spit on. You got bags of urine thrown on you. It was a different, yeah. it was a different if world. If you were
2: lucky, yeah. they were urine. Yeah. yeah.
1: It was totally different. CONCACAF is beautiful now. <laughs> <laughs> uh. By the way, that's an amazing
0: marketing slogan. CONCACAF is beautiful now. <laughs> I met a guy when I was at the Pinnacle who was from CONCACAF. He was wearing a CONCACAF a golf shirt with CONCACAF on, and he was introduced to me. I didn't know what to say to him. It, it said CONCACAF in huge letters in Gold Cup. So I just said, oh, I love your golf shirt. <laughs> and he looked at me like I was in it he goes, really? Like, he could, he was disgusted by CONCACAF <laughs> Well, no, I was. And I walked off with my producer J-dubs. I was like, oh, my bullshit didn't really work there, did it? <laughs> Can
2: I just but, say, once again, the CONCACAF uh, golf shirts are available on the way out in the lobby. In the I, and I'd just say,
0: please buy them, because apartments for cats don't rent themselves. <laughs> think of the cats. Won't somebody think of the cats? I want to get back to you, Peter Vermes, and not talk about corruption and embezzlement, because
3: <laughs>
0: in okay. that moment, with that wonder goal, you thought, we've turned the tide, we are now a team that's expected to win things, we're going to be a threat in world football. And when I first met you, 2011, I came to interview you in your office, and the thing I loved about you was, I came to talk to you about your career, but you were most animated talking about the future. You kept breaking down the under 16 and 18 youth team rosters that loomed over blackboards on your desk. I realized I was a man who was utterly focused on the American future, and I love and admire that because I am too. But I want to know, Have we developed as fast as you thought we should have done in those days? We are a mighty nation of 330 million. We put a man on the moon. We've saved the free world. We invented chocolate chip cookies and Viagra. (laughs) What is it about this soccer thing that we can't get right?
1: Yeah, uh, I think it's a great question. I think that one of the biggest things that we have missed over the over the years is, uh, is coaching. Um, I, I don't think that we have been very good in the coaching department. It's, it's, it's ridiculous to think with, as you state, 330, 350 million people in this country that there's no way that you can come up with really good soccer players. I think it goes down to coaching. And it's not, it's not necessarily taking a kid of five years old and trying to run them through a bunch of drills. It's understanding the development of the player uh, there's a motor development side, there's a, a psychological, there's a, there's, a, there's a skill level, there's a technical aspect. There's all these different pieces that go into making a player. And it's not just about being able to kick a ball. And we, ha- and we have to become better at that. I think we have over the last five ten years. Um, there's been a huge investment um, into that area. But I really think it's come mostly through Major League Soccer and all the academies and things like that that we have and so that's why I think you're seeing now the likes of Abusio coming out in our club at the age of the guys. Um, and, and I think you're going to see more of those players as we move forward because I just think that there are much, there's more better coaches at the younger age groups and as the kids get older as well um, in our ranks.
2: But Peter, you grew up in an immigrant area of New Jersey, a suburban area of Philadelphia, playing around the Hungarian leagues. Hungarian German leagues. If there's one thing that you could change about American soccer, surely it would be to bring the working classes back into American soccer, which has become a little bit of a middle-class sport in this country.
1: Yeah, there's there's no doubt that, look, uh, the the environment has changed immensely on how organized it is. Some of that is a cultural thing. You know, kids don't Go out and play just on their own. Parents don't even let them go out of their house, right, without having a chaperone or somebody watching them. So that there is a cultural thing. What I do think, though, is, is that um, even still with the environment we currently have today, it, it always came down to coaching. No doubt. When I grew up, there was more uh, ethnicity, Blue collar worker, my father was. My parents escaped from Hungary in 1956. They came here. My father was a professional soccer player. It's not like I grew up with um, all that much, but I never really thought about it. But soccer was everything to me. Um, that's not the same anymore. So I, it, it's kind of the same thing. Look, I ha- I'm 52 years old. Uh, the, the kids that I have to deal with are millennials, right? They're millennials. And I have to figure out a way how to communicate with them instead of sitting there complaining that, oh, you're not this or you're not that. I have to figure out a way how to make them work, right? In, in, and me actually work with them. And so it's the same thing. I mean, we can talk about the, uh, the idea that we don't have kids playing on the street and all those other things, but I think those days are gone in our country, but I think there's other ways to skin that cat, and, and I believe that it's through other ways. And we Take do talk. Look, if, if, if we look at... If we look at, uh, we have uh, futsal courts that we built, Sporting Kansas City has down in in, uh, the city areas. Kids are playing in those areas without any coaches, pick up games, those are tremendous opportunities for kids and those kids eventually will make it to our academy. But look, I don't want to get too political.
2: But this country is a nation of immigrants. It is a country where everyone from around the world wants to go and live. Everyone who comes into this country comes from a family who are dying to play soccer, where soccer is the most important thing. Surely this nation of 330 million can capture those people who will just die and bleed for that U.S. shirt like nobody else.
1: It's coming. And and, and again, environments like this and what you guys do on a regular basis. You are helping to cultivate uh, a, a generation of people that are in love with the game, kids that follow and listen to the things that you say about players and, and the people that you have on your shows. And all those, all those things, I think, are, are changing our game. I mean, there was a time in this country when I was playing that there's no doubt in my mind that baseball, basketball, football were doing everything they can to hold this game back. Yeah. But when the internet came, all of a sudden things changed immensely in social media, it just changed everything. I mean, we we, we l- can't we, hold it back.
0: We, we like to think with are and I are the last two things holding the game back in <laughs>
2: <laughs> But I, I'll be kind of, when I walk around we did, here. We need Hope Solo to come and take us out and then the game will be fine.
0: <laughs> yeah, it would be like a scene from Killing Eve, it won't be pretty. But this is one of the reasons I love your city so much, Kansas City, I really do because your growth story here is so inspiring. 1996, Major League Soccer began. The Wiz were the worst team in the league, a world away from the world-class infrastructure that now surrounds your club. I mean, your training facility back... I was at the pinnacle today, world-class. The training facility back then, take us back to the, to the rat-infested hazard.
1: I yeah. mean,
0: take me to the shower stalls, Peter Verbees. Take yeah. me to the blood so, shower stalls. So,
1: you know, our old facility, our, and, and the one that we have for the Academy and the USL team right now is down at Swope. There used to be an old facility there that actually the Chiefs trained in the 50s, mm-hmm. which was left over for us when, when I came here in 2000. And uh, we had four showers, um, and the showers were standalone showers. And so if you weren't the first one in after training, the, all the water would just start backing up. And you can imagine, guy after guy would go in there. So being the fact that I was one of the veteran guys, when I would come in, whoever was in front of me, I would pull him out. He would be yeah. all soaped up, shampoo. <laughs> As I'd did. go in, take my shower, and then he could go back yeah. in.
0: Yeah, But by the way, if you were a mid-level whiz player, you were not just showering in anyone's dirty water, <laughs> but you were showering in Tony Miola's dirty water. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, I won't be. We I want, need to market, I we should, should market Tony Miola's Dirty Water. We I can should. sell that for
0: a fortune. I want to be clear, there are towns in Italy where they call Tony Miola's Dirty Water holy water. <laughs> I,
2: I actually think
0: it can cure baldness. A little bit like Graham Zuzzi's tears today. But back then, you had a collective spirit, the worst club in the league, you bad news bared it all the way to the title.
1: Yeah, uh... Our coach was Bob Gansler, somebody I played for in the World Cup.
0: Let's hear it for Bob Gansler. Yeah. American legend.
1: He, uh, he came in that year in 99 prior to the year I came in He came in halfway through and um, basically assessed the team and made basically wholesale changes at the end of the season, brought a bunch of veterans in. And, uh, I mean, to start off the season, we went 12-0. Uh, we, were, we were undefeated in the first 12 games. We went on to win the Supporters' Shield and then won the MLS Cup at the end. It was, it, was, it, was a, it was a great team. It was full of a lot of guys that, you know, back to it, had a lot of balls. Um, courageous guys, you know, guys that, that, that fought for everything. And, um, yeah, it was a good group of guys to play for and never forget it. Mate, if you could
0: survive those showers, you could pretty well do anything
2: we were talking about the Women's World Cup, and you made a point about I know. the Women's World Cup, the women on the U.S. team.
1: I really mean this. I think that it's, it's something that the men's game needs to watch, is that the, not only, listen, the pace of the game is excellent to watch, but more importantly, they go into tackles, and, I mean, those are real tackles, and they get up and they keep playing. They don't roll around. And <laughs> I hate that stuff. I hate it. So I, I commend them for it. And I think, I think the men's game, on all around the world, could learn from it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's because
1: women are superior
0: to men, David. but... <laughs> it's facts. Talk about Peter's career here in Kansas yeah, City. Yeah, in
2: Kansas City as a player, then a manager. You've seen this club transform from also-rans with your backed up Tony Miola showers <laughs> to a model club on and off the field, opening a magnificent new stadium in 2011, transitioning from the whiz to Sporting KC, opening a training facility, your world-class training facility, all the while nurturing this incredible fan culture, a literal cauldron. You know the city well. What is the core of
1: Kansas City's love
2: affair with football?
1: I, I actually think it's pretty simple. I, I think it's, a, it's, it's probably just a couple of little things, but actually they come into something big, and that is, I think the fans were always here. I think the difference is, is that you have an ownership group that truly understands um, how they have to be they themselves and also their team, their club, what have you has to be involved in the community, number one. Number two is they built our own home. When you're, when you're the stepchild in, in a stadium and it's not yours, yeah. you don't feel like it's yours, you it's don't horrible. feel at home, we have our home stadium. And the final piece is, is I think we don't win every game, right? And everybody always says they want a winner. And, and look, we have one here, but the difference is, is I think the fans respect the fact that when our team goes on the field, if the one thing that we will do in the game is that the guys leave everything on the field when they play a game. Hmm. And I think there's a, an incredible relationship between the fans and the players from that perspective. They appreciate that. And then the players feed off the fans because they're incredible in our stadium.
0: I, mean, I love listening to you, Peter, because you're a man for whom football is its in your blood. You are a first-generation Hungarian-America. Your father, Michael, was a Hungarian professional, played on Budapest, the, the iconic golden team, Honved, alongside Puskas, a legend, and Sandor Kocsis. He fled the communist regime, landed in Jersey, near that ethnic, epicenter around Philadelphia you used to watch this man your dad play for the Hungarian club against their arch rivals the German Hungarians. I love oh. this. this is, I wish we were commentating on these games because teams had such great names since then. Your father passed in 2011. He was a man who experienced football in behind the Iron Curtain and here in America but would he have believed you, what you've grown out here in the heartlands, the American Plains, the Midwest, George Brett country?
1: Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know if he would have. It's why I wish he could have seen uh, where, where this game has, has come, and especially here in, in Kansas City. I think that uh, the progression's been amazing. Uh, I, I can tell you, when I played here in 2000, it was hard for me to imagine that This city would have grown to be the kind of uh, soccer environment that it is, but it is and I think everybody is Is jealous of it Um, from this perspective that we have an incredible environment to play in every week Um, We've you know again. I always say I don't even I don't think we have a fan base It's a it's truly a family. It really is. It's a Mm. it's a family because even if you watch our game when, our, when, when, our, when the game's going on, um, the crowd knows, the, f- the family knows what we're, what we're about to do. They're, they already know because they've seen it many times. And it used to be that I remember when there used to be commentating on TV to, to do a soccer game that uh, the, the commentators were told that they had to teach the fans the game. It would be an insult to do something like that. Our fans are incredibly knowledgeable. They not only understand the game, but they understand how our team plays. They understand the model of play and understand what we're doing in the game. And it's, it's, a, it's a relationship unlike any other. And so I think that's what's changed um, in the sport. I'm, I'm extremely fortunate to be a part of it. Um, and I'm really, really excited at what the future has to hold because gra- the game is not going to stop anymore. There's no way to hold it back. Fantastic. You know,
0: I, I, I happen to know that's something that you don't take for granted because when I did interview you in 2011 at the training facility The last thing you said to me is you had security escort me off the premises <laughs> Smart smart man. You said you said something quite beautiful I'm gonna read it out to you and ask you to expand upon it. You said the following you said when I come out onto the sideline and the stadium is full and we're about to kick off, I am always hit by a sense of wonder because I can't believe this place exists in the USA. And above all, here in Kansas City, I look around in awe and I know I'm experiencing a feeling that will never wear off.
1: Yeah, uh, it still happens. I, I mean, as you, as you speak about it, it's like the hair on my arms and back of my neck. It stands up because um, I wasn't fortunate enough. I wasn't fortunate enough to, to, to experience that in the United States um, as a player, you know. And so I don't take it very lightly. I think it's, a, it's an incredible environment. Um, I appreciate, uh, you know, as, as a former player, when I played, I loved training. I loved the idea of being a professional soccer player. I always tell the guys, even today, I always tell them, I say, you guys don't realize it, but you have the best job in the world. Yeah. It's, you're so lucky. You don't know it. You go home and you take a nap and you just hang out, but you don't realize how tremendous of a, a, of a life that you have. And so the fact that I can continue to do it in a, in a coaching environment, in a club, where we have uh, you know, a, a family of people that support us in everything that we do. You know, We haven't had the best of times recently. We have unbelievable amount of injuries. But you know, I don't know, weeks ago, a month ago, the, the fans came out and they, they almost did like a pep rally one morning for all the players um, to tell them that they support them. You know, it's a little bit different than what Brad Friedel said that he hoped that would happen in, in New England, where he hoped that the fans would beat up the players when they got to their car. We have a different environment. <laughs> right? We're not looking for that. We, we're we're trying, to, trying to continue to do the right thing. And so this environment is tremendous, and I'm, I'm very, very fortunate to be a part of it.
2: I am so delighted that you are in charge here in Kansas City with these incredible plans. I can't quite believe you're not the coach of the U.S. Men's National Team, but... You are a true American soccer hero, Peter. Kansas City, please be upstanding for your coach, Mr. Peter Vermees.
0: To it again for Peter Vermes.
2: I have met a lot of coaches, Rog. That man is next level. Okay, one more guest before we close the show and head to Johnny's Tavern in the Power and Light District. I love power, Rog, and I love light. Both things combined. Power and light.
0: And I love the pubs that are clearly named after Johnny Evans. <laughs> yeah.
2: So come be with us. Rog is very thirsty and wants to raise his 15th brother of the evening with you.
0: All right, let's end the show the way we know best with a song one rooted in your delirious fan culture, the one that so blew me away the first
2: time I came to Kansas City in 2012. Yes, Rog, let's finish this show by bringing up to the stage members of The Cauldron, led by President Josue Molina.
0: Louis Suarez. What? No, wrong one.
2: Wrong one, Rod.
0: Oh, hang on. We've got very, two very shy members of the Cauldron. Tear for them! Yay! Thank God. Oh, God, these guys had to come all the way from Topeka. It's why they're a little bit late. <laughs> Hostway and the Cauldron. I will say it's a delight <laughs> to share the stage with you. But, what? Are you still thinking about the backup no, I'm shower think, and telling me all this piss and all that stuff? Yep, I'm just enjoying you, Roger. I wanna tell you, I admire the cauldron so bloody much. I really, really do. I watch it on television. It is genuinely astonishing. All those sellouts, the sold out game after game after game, all that passion, all that noise. And then I think about that group. Founded in the Mystics, right? Yeah, absolutely. Who went back to the Wizards days in the dark times of Arrowhead Stadium.
2: wasn't the best.
0: It wasn't the best. <laughs>
2: That's fair.
0: It was Raider. not the best. But if I was to go back in time in my hot tub time machine <laughs> and, asked, and, and say to you, don't worry, this is all going to end deliriously well, would you have believed me when you guys started cheering for this team?
4: Absolutely. I mean,
2: there, there was a time when there were 50 of us sitting in the stands, singing and chanting and being friends with each other. And those same 50 people were the, went out and found an ownership group to keep the team in Kansas City and not be in Rochester. Huh. And, and to build the culture that we knew existed here from all of our fan base, from all of the people that are sports fanatics in this city, they just needed to learn our game and buy into our game. It was, it was never a doubt that this would happen. We just needed people to build it for us.
0: And you just needed, and you just needed Roger Espinoza.
2: Uh, Yeah. Okay, guys, we ask you to close the night with, with one song, one song only, that sums up your passion for this franchise. Tell us what you chose. Take it away.
3: I'm going to let Brandon lead this, but the song is No Other Club, because there is no other club like Sporting Kansas City in the world. We have a world-class... Yeah, yeah, you can do that. We have a world-class training facility. We have an ownership group that gets it. We have a coach that I would go to war with. Like, he yeah. just tells me, it's time, I'm going. Like, let's do this. I'm also very scared of him, so I'll just do whatever he tells me to do. Uh the, between the fan base that has become a family Peter Peter talked about that when I go to Sporting Park and I think I share the same sentiment as a lot of people here that it is home when we get into those stands when we get into the bleachers it is home I, It is my second home it is a place that I love being and I think you know if you've ever been in the cauldron for a game you can kind of share that that same feeling that you found your people. You found your place in the world, and that there's no other place that you would rather be. So, no other club. I'll let Brandon take over this. Hands up. Hey, stand up. Come on, get on your feet. No other club but SKC for
1: the glory of the city. No other club but SKC of the glory of the city
0: For the glory of the city! That was the most profound thing out of Kansas City since Paul Carr. His best Th- friends are numbers. Thank you, Kansas City. Thank you, The Rainmakers. Thank you, Charlie Parker. Thank you, Burt Bacharach. Come and have a beer with us. Thank you, The Cauldron. Thank you, Sporting Kansas City.
1: Come and have a beer with us all. Courage!